This is the Voice of America coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. Who will win, capitalists or socialists? Are there any other alternatives? This is what we'll deal with in the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book written by Jerry L. Rhodes. The book delves into the possibilities of a third party. Based upon what we've received from the socialists and the capitalists with respect to the evolution of American society and American politics is embodied in the current financial financial situation that we're facing in America. The facts about where we are and where we're going as far as the financial uh, uh, statements for our country, they have, up till now they have been presented to us in a cooked books format. The reality is, is that the current $22 trillion debt uh, and deficit are understated by $100 trillion because the obligations for pensions, uh, government pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, and certain other uh, entitlement programs are not on the books. They are only recorded as paid. So we don't have uh, a set of financial statements or information that are on the generally accepted accounting basis. It's because we're um, only reporting on an institutional basis, which is limited to a budgetary system of cash disbursements and cash receipts. We're running the government like it was a corner drugstore. Um, so in the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, I as a CPA will map out where we are and where this is taking us financially and politically. My story, 37 years of frontline experience with government-run healthcare. When I graduated from college, I was recruited by Arthur Anderson and Company in uh, the Chicago office. Arthur Anderson Company being the one of the eight largest accounting firms in the world, and according to the ratings, number one in reputation and uh, reliability. My accounting professor, Myron Sorden, recommended me to them after I was awarded the Wall Street Journal Annual Award to the Outstanding Bachelors of Science and Business Graduate. Little did I know that this was a choice of my lifetime to pursue a career, not just a job, and enable me and my new family to move to the city of Chicago and pursue this opportunity with the number one public accounting firm in the world. I went to the firm's 
boot camp, not knowing what that meant in terms of what I didn't know versus what I was expected to do in a short period of time. I didn't really know how, nor was I prepared to take the CPA exam since I was a liberal arts graduate, not an accounting major from the University of Illinois. After surviving the four weeks of hell, I was prepared to bring my wife, Sherry and Christy, our two-year-old daughter, to the city of 7 million from our hometown of 5,000. My first assignment, after sitting in the firm's library for only, only a week, I was assigned to an audit and spent the next month running an adding machine, reconciling the bank accounts for a bowling supply company. While there, I was called in and told I was being transferred to the small business division immediately. I couldn't have been happier and began my healthcare consulting career the next week. I was assigned to the Blue Cross Blue Shield account. From day one, August 1st, 1961, I was a healthcare consultant in training for which I had been recruited, a career, for path, a career path that would last for 50 years. I was with AA and Co. for eight years, took the CPA exam, passed it the first time, and became a so-called Medicare expert. When Medicare was passed in June 1964 and AA and Co. was to roll out Medicare to hospitals and skilled nursing homes as uh, for our client, Blue Cross of America, at that time I was doing hospital cost report audits for Blue Cross and inherited the assignment to set up Medicare cost reporting procedures in hospitals. From there, I took a, a job offer from another CPA public accounting firm that had 26 Catholic hospital clients, and I was their Medicare cost report expert. I was made a partner and then was recruited by another CPA public accounting firm to set up their healthcare division. My next move was to start my own public accounting firm, J.L. Rhodes and Company, and a consulting firm managed better operations, specializing in nursing home systems and operations. This led to, <clears throat> to starting a software development company for cost accounting and billing for nursing homes. I was basically too soon with my vision of what the nursing homes needed to be, to be competitive with hospitals and set up roads reimbursement systems to capture Medicare money for skilled nursing facilities. When one of my clients needed an on-site administrator, I passed the nursing home administrator exam and became a licensed nursing home administrator. I became a turnaround troubleshooter, fixing troubled decertified nursing homes. And uh, until that time when my wife, son and I purchased three facilities, all troubled and in need of computer systems and management and a reform management philosophy and procedures. After losing a battle to change the regulatory nightmare, we, we sold our three uh, nursing homes and now are authoring our experience and solutions into books for sale and my podcast. I am told by some of my contemporaries that it is only a matter of time when the need will catch up with our solutions. Now my readers and listeners will have to judge and help us implement them. This is all chronic, chronicled at www.jerryrhodesauthor.com.
continuing, let's uh, further discuss these savings withholding accounts for funding self-health insurance funding trusts. Yes, individuals shift self-health insurance funding trusts withholdings from savings accounts are pre-tax deductible and accumulate a return on investment administered by the employer like a 401k plan, not the government. The fund is portable and invested by mutual insurance professional investors. Then the healthier person has more left for aftercare and retirement. For the unemployed, we will have a workable Medicaid fund. For catastrophic illnesses, we will have an affordable Medicare fund. Everything else will be with a withholding program for privatized long-term health care. A national health care policy with defined benefits and enterprise funding mutual health insurance companies where the beneficiaries own the company approach. It has to work because America works on the same basis. Fund as you go along by forced savings and improve utilization by staying healthier because it makes us all money. Deming would love us all if we can meet the Japanese culture of business. Or maybe we should just let the Japanese run our healthcare program. Premiums. Rate setting will be the most scientific endeavor since the premiums will be based on the beneficiary's health, not their utilization. That health profile will be the basis for annual rate setting and altered with significant changes in condition. In concept, the healthy person gets the better coverage for less premium and can save money by not overutilizing their savings account. Tax deductions for health preservation and wellness costs. All health-related costs that exceed 75% of the current individual savings account balance and fitness expenses are 100% deductible from adjusted gross taxable income on an individual basis. Fitness embraces workout facilities, nutritional, nutritional foods, annual physicals, and screenings. Health preservation and wellness is the next trillion dollar industry. Why? We need to prevent chronic illnesses. The highest cost in healthcare is the five chronic diseases, diabetes, cardiac, respiratory, stroke, and obesity. Prevention of these will save Medicare $100 billion per year. Of course, we are spending a pound for every ounce of prevention that is not practiced. Economic incentives, personal health savings accounts, and tax deductions are the only way to get Americans' Americans' attention and commitment to be healthy. Dr. Deming, if he were alive today, would tag healthcare management with the waste of the year award. His advice would be to the same as above, organize for quality, save money and reinvest in those Americans that will stay healthy. The unhealthy ones will ha- have to pay more and have less. But this, the one stipulation is that they all receive the same level of care when needed. Currently, $2.5 trillion to $3 trillion is spent on how to, uh, on, on low to marginal health care services in the United States. The uncontrollable outlays are as follows. Physicians 
600 billion a year. Hospitals, a trillion a year. Nursing homes, 250 billion a year. Home care, 150 to 200 billion a year. Pharmaceuticals, 600 billion a year. One trillion on Part D drugs by 2020. Other, 300 billion total expenditures in in 2020, almost $4 trillion. Of that amount, 80% of those dollars are spent on chronic diseases in the last two years of Americans' lives. Bureaucratically termed end-of-life care. All is spent in pursuit of treatment rather than wellness as an outcome. Prevention is an afterthought. Waste is never mentioned. Why? Because we are practicing wealth care, not true health care. According to ARP, this black hole will get deeper <clears throat> to the tune of $4 trillion by 2020. And my estimate is more like that much by 2020 as well, before the reformers want to add the uninsured, the underinsured, non-citizens, and the un- unemployed to their to our staggering health economy funded by enormous borrowing, and in my opinion, there still will be no viable solution in place. So what is the solution? <clears throat> I propose the American Enterprise Mutual Health Care Program. Number one, clearly stated national health care preventive and preservation objectives formulized into a national mutual health insurance policy that requires all employed Americans to have ownership uh, which in, in effect is preferred stock with shares being purchased from their shift savings accounts from a, their choice of a mutual health insurance company, publicly traded. We can computerize the whole process if we standardize the benefits and payment methods. Let enterprise set up the standards and comply with them for profit. Economies of scale and profit. Two, federalized withholding program f- from all employed Americans to collect and populate the health preservation savings accounts. Let the government collect it, but not spend it. Three, mutual health insurance companies as contractors for investing America's health preservation shift savings accounts and paying to each American desire and paying for each American's desired expenditures, approved expenditures for health care, disease prevention, health and wellness expenditure for fitness and nutritional plans. There can be no competition in healthcare if we if we want there can be no competition in healthcare if we want results. Government will continue to throw good money after bad care if enterprise does not intercede. And I think that should be restated. There should be competition in healthcare if we want results. Government will continue to throw good money after bad if enterprise does not intercede and create a competitive environment. Four, each employed American will have an an annual standardized health and fitness profile and a plan for preventing, preserving wellness and preventing chronic health problems developed by or developed for determining their dividend rate on their mutual preferred stock holdings. As long as we separate payment from the person, we'll not get a reduction in spiraling costs, a.k.a. waste.
five, each unemployed American citizen will be covered by Medicaid that will, no, each unemployed American citizen will be covered by Medicaid that will be federalized as an insurance program <clears throat> to only cover the unemployed. The expenditures would be funded by special provision in the federal revenue sharing. Illegal aliens will not have insurance or health benefits. Six, Medicare Part A in its current form will continue to be a safety net for only, but only for outlier payments related to catastrophic hospitalizations and terminal diseases of the of the elderly and disabled. Medicare Part B, C, D would be disbanded, and the Part A model of payment will be changed to include economic incentives based on the restorative care plans and outcomes. The funding for the benefit will continue to come out of the Social Security Trust Funds. Seven, individual shift health savings accounts are managed by the individual preferred shareholder without the parameters of qualified health care expenditures, wellness and fitness expenditures, and programs designed to prevent chronic obesity and certain diseases. It should be within the parameters of a qualified health care, health care expenditures, wellness and fitness expenditures, and programs designed to prevent chronic obesity and, and uh, certain diseases. The shift savings account will accumulate for use in later years for long-term care services and hospitalization. Mutual dividends are tax-exempt as are gains on preferred stock sales when the shareholder is divesting ownership of some of their savings investment. The balance sheet and income statement of American healthcare. Why we can't trust the government. If you're depending on politicians and the government to fix it, take a look at the last 20 years. The rhetoric is the same, contain and refrain from driving up costs, but keep those tax dollars coming or we won't be able to pay for these pills and tests and bypass, bypass surgeries. In theory, the government is us. I say in theory. Have you tried to get your friendly senator or representative on the phone lately? Good, good luck. They are too busy to listen to the public. That is why they have deflectors called AIDS. To make universal health care or universal anything work, it cannot be administered by big government or big business. It is corrupt now. What is needed is a, is a concept where the individual does have control over funding and disbursement of health care and education dollars, but only upon presentation of their need. Otherwise, the money will be peeled off for other gamble and nothing left for paying bills. Uh, continuing, in 10 years, using this paradigm shift to pay for outcome an outcome system, we can generate $12 trillion per year in resources as the 200 million workers contribute as little as 500 per month investment in their mutual insurance preferred stock. That is without giving the effect of a return on the investment made by the mutual insurance companies infusion of capital into our economy. Many of the companies receiving infusion of capital are the providers of health, health preservation and preventive services to meet the demand of the 77 million baby boomers coming into their market. 
Actually, it's going to be a new market. This enterprise solution will also eliminate the insane policies of the political left and right that have driven our country out to the brink of bankruptcy. We have $123 trillion in debt if the entitlements are recorded on the cooked American government, cooked American books, and make us vulnerable to our economic enemies who are far more ominous than a few terrorists whom the politicians use as fear factors to keep the middle America Americans at bay. I use the American Enterprise Mutual Health Insurance Companies as the catalyst to change. In 10 years, we would be self-funding aging, health preservation, elimination, elimination of chronic diseases, and a quality of life that, life that leads the world in better to better health. More importantly, by putting Enterprising American, America at the center and having cost-effective services emanate from the center, we will create 2 million to 5 million more jobs per year to service the mutual insurance companies at shareholders. It is a self-perpetuating business approach to a political nightmare. Continuing, uh, I'll call this my healthcare baptism, my story. 175, 175, 175. This is the formula that uh, changed my career path and also. Um, ability to manage people. At a skilled nursing facility I took on, which was decertified and called Death Valley by the surveyors, was 207 beds with plummeting occupancy. I had 175 patients when I got there that did not want to be there, 175 families who did not want to come there, and 175 employees who did not want to work there. Quite a big undertaking, considering the state was wanting to close it down. It had a terrible uh, track record for, from previous surveys. Um, did not have good uh, environmental um, standards. In other words, it stunk. It was dirty. It was not... It was not uh, fit for anyone, but that's what I inherited. Within five days of taking over without even an administrator's license, a 93-year-old con contracted, a person that was all contracted up and could barely move, a patient drowned in the whirlpool while a therapist charted behind a privacy screen. A terrible um, violation of the of the state's regulations. They have to have if they have a patient in a whirlpool tub, they have to be at the patient's side at all times. The next day, I was on TV trying to explain the accident, which is what I call it, an accident which the attorney general called neglect and 
chem- criminal abuse, and I'm sure a uh, attorney would call um, uh, unwarranted death. My attitude of I am going to fix this mess and a for a forgiving family got me through it to the next big problem. So in other words, the family didn't sue, the state didn't indict the owner nor myself. Actually, after that and for the next six months, it got worse. 200% turnover, 25% absenteeism, 50% absenteeism on weekends, theft of patients' valuables, air conditioning that broke down for two weeks in the hottest summer uh, ever. Surveyors were there every day with their humidity and temperature thermometers just waiting to shut us down. My staff was made up of primarily of immigrants who are not really that effective and didn't really focus on what I wanted, which was a cleaner um, or professional um, operation based upon patient problems and outcomes. That was the vision. But I had Polish bed makers, Mexican housekeepers, Filipino LPNs, East Indian night shift uh, nurses and aides, Black American CNAs, white RNs, Hispanic dietary staff, and and um, also Hispanic. Yeah, Hispanic dietary staff, many of whom were probably not legal aliens. Not a team, but a group of workers focused on paychecks and their departments, not on the patients. Even an ineffective leader sometimes does nothing and becomes a leader or a more effective leader. During a snowstorm that November, only half the staff showed up for work. And for 72 hours, the facility ran better without troublemakers and thieves. But I got there after digging my way out of a 16-inch snowstorm. The assistant director of nursing and lead aide had organized the staff into teams using my direction and were performing as they never had before. Priorities were done, done first and busy work was shelled. After the snowstorm, it dawned on me that before the storm, all the staff only worked half a day. And after, half the staff got more done in a day than they did in a week before. Quite an eye-opener. So much so, I decided we were not going back to the old ineffective departmental structure, but we're going to stay with the teams set up in my absence with my direction. The rest is history. In conclusion, this epiphany changed my view of the infrastructure of nursing homes. As teams only focused on the patient's priority problems and was organized to implement the care plan interventions, we achieved efficiency and effectiveness never before attained. Productivity was based on outcomes. In other words, we were were focused on solving the patient's problems, not on busy work and paperwork. could get reimbursed for, and quality was a byproduct of our control of the processes. By our next quality incentive payment survey, we were recertified and received a clean survey with five of the six stars of quality awarded exemplary providers, which meant more money for better quality uh, outcomes. The beyond of the byword of this miracle I experienced is taking a staff with no purpose 
and turning it into a team with a purpose. That's the definition of enterprise. Pay the performing providers on service excellence. Why not pay fewer efficient staff more for providing quality work rather than more staff less for whatever they decide to do or not do? The ending uh, equation is a better uh, profitable organization. My educated opinion. Current minimum standards for skilled nursing facilities promotes mediocrity. And I will quote to you what these are. Uh, Section 37.106.601, minimum standards for skilled nursing care general. It doesn't define even minimum. <clears throat> so the minimums become maximums. 37.106.605, minimum standards uh, staffing. Uh, 37.106.606, minimum standards for prescription drugs. So they're mapping out what the minimum standards are to get a license, not any kind of definition of what quality or outcomes should attain. 37.106.640, minimum standards, nursing care. Um, and infirmary, which was the medical end of the end of the operation, thirty-seven point one zero six point six four five, skilled nursing, uh, developmentally disabled. This is for the folks that are confined to wheelchairs and also have mental and, uh, and cognitive problems, up to and including Alzheimer's. 37.106.650, nursing care, kidney treatment. So as I stated before, when you set up things on minimum standards, they trend towards being maximums. And in a, uh, in a corrupt system where money dictates, uh, many of these standards have been bypassed by uh, the survey system, which is driven by uh, historically by payoffs and, and graft. Presently, control is futilely tried and attained through threats, penalties, fear tactics, and less reimbursement. This is the state's tactics, their survey tactics. In my, in my opinion, this approach makes care worse. It does not deal with the problem It deals with symptoms. Poor care is due to lack of economic incentives to provide a quality of life for those who are forced to accept the alternative lifestyle in nursing facilities. It is not their home. They didn't elect to come there to live uh, in a rental, in an apartment rented and uh, under their uh, direction. And there is not any education, educational training, and there is not any educational training to assist nursing facility providers in improving, improving. The government and the provider are at opposite ends. It's a we against them scenario using subjective in, intimidation or what I call enforcement as opposed to a more democratic environment where both the government and providers are 
working together to achieve quality of care. It is not the patient's desired home, and staff need stability, not threats, organization, process development and control, not more people, tools for efficiency, not more hours, models of care designed to address problems and achieve goals, not guessing what should be done, more involvement with the medical community, not a cursory visit by the physician every 90 days uh, with phone orders galore. A proposal for maximum standards that reward excellence. The cliche minimum standards become maximums when it comes to quality. It certainly applies in many nursing homes, maybe all. Since there are no incentives to do better than minimum, there are no reasons to exceed or excel what you have to provide to minimally pass a subjective, arbitrary, and capricious survey process rather than a survey process based on factual performance data and outcomes. Survey happens once a year around contract renewal dates. So it is supposed to be a, a totally, be, to be totally continuing. I somehow got shut off before completing this. Uh, to be totally a surprise visit. The surveyors are typically former nursing employees who are allowed to subjectively interpret the minimum standards during their visit. Nursing home management is given 10 days to develop a plan of correction for, the, for those violations noted by the surveyors and the fire marshal. If the plan is accepted, the state has the option for doing a follow-up survey or accepting the correction plan through a desk review totally intimidating and all based upon negative incentives. Nursing home reforms have been promulgated over the last 30 to 40 years directed towards additional um, threats and enforcement tactics um, without revising um, what the deficiency is. However, very few facilities are held financially accountable for for not providing quality outcomes, which can be reviewed from a statistical and factual uh, performance basis. In my opinion, <clears throat> what would be the maximum standards? Well, I would replace the minimums with the maximums for the basic purpose of creating something to work for and then rewarding uh, the excellence based upon performance and then that being based on a, a, a six-star system. The first uh, maximum standard would be 37.106.601. A facility should be clean without odors and provide adequate space for patients, families, and visitors would receive one of six stars. 37.106.605. A facility would utilize care plans for determining the amount of staff based on the care plans and proven outcomes would receive one of six stars of quality. 37106606, a skilled nursing facility, a facility should institute a drug reduction program involving attending physicians 
patient families, patient and pharmacies would receive one of six stars of quality. 37.106.640 maximum standard uh, for skilled nursing, a facility should reduce the incidence of rehospitalization by at least 25% each year, receiving one of six stars of quality. Quality meaning that the facility is providing restorative care so they don't have to be rehospitalized, which is the most expensive um, uh, occurrence. 37.106.645 for skilled nursing care uh, for dementia and Alzheimer's, a facility that institutes psychosocial programming receives one of six stars of quality. This includes unlocking the locked units and allowing socializing and socialization to uh, integrate the patients for um, improving cognitive and social um, interaction. 37.10665.650, skilled nursing facility, um, activities of daily living optimized, a facility that initiates restorative and retraining programs for all patients receives one of six stars, which is then contributes to their high admission rate back to the community. This is called QUIP, Quality Incentive pay, Payment. Incentive reimbursement would be tried, would be tied to maximum standards of care and six stars of quality, which say, with, with while a minimum base rate would apply to the minimum standards of personal care. For example, the minimum base rate would consist of actual cost of the room, includes physical plant, uh, depreciation, interest on debt, real estate taxes, insurance, utilities, maintenance of plant, common area cleanliness, and infection control. Then it would also embrace or encompass personal care services provided every patient, includes meals, continent supplies, laundry, housekeeping, safety, and general activities. And personal, and it would also cover personalized activities, includes recreation, spiritual, social, and educational activities. Maximum daily rate would consist of the base, this base rate plus add-ons is needed based on assessment by the survey process. Occupational rehab and restorative care, therapy and nursing retraining programs for activities of daily living deficits, improvements, upper and lower extremity exercises. Physical rehab and restorative care, therapy and nursing, retraining for ambulation, transfer, bed mobility, toileting, strengthening, fitness training. Social rehab, therapeutic clubs, enterprise activities, diet, discussion groups, card groups, gourmet club, church groups, Bible study. Psychological rehab, groups for wanderers, smokers, care sur survivors, cancer survivors. Stroke survivors, demented, confused, withdrawn patients, prone to falls, over being overweight or underweight. This is outcome-based reimbursement. Must pay for performance proven by documented results. Most patients restored and most discharged back to the community. Or more patients restored and more discharged back to the community. Annual quality incentive payment based on a survey by the state to determine the degree of compliance towards quality maximum standards designed to document the providers doing something right and rewarding them for the quality of life. 
award what first star? Evaluate the effectiveness of the facilities care plan implementation based on the documented assessed problems, programs, and outcomes for each patient's stay. And include in that each patient's episode. Award second star, evaluate the effectiveness of the facility staff management program based on the turnover rate, absentee rate, theft rate, fall rate, number of complaints, survey, the number of complaint surveys by this by the state for complaints coming from the families. Award third star, evaluate the facility's effectiveness in reducing drug dependence and managing drug interactions based on documented occurrences and outcomes. Award four star, evaluate the effectiveness of the facility's management of the attending physician's orders and reducing the number of unnecessary hospitalizations, ER visits, and misdiagnosed testing based on documented occurrences and outcomes. Award fifth star, evaluate the effectiveness of the facility's management of the psychosocial needs of the dementia, confused, and Alzheimer's patients. Award six star, evaluate the effectiveness of the facility skilled nursing, restored and rehab programs, including the therapies. This method has actually been demonstrated as successful in Illinois. The add-on and quit programs were instituted in the state of Illinois in the 1980s by the Department of Public Aid under the direction of Connie Sharon. I managed nursing homes during that time and my staff and I were in pursuit of quality every day based upon the variable rate and the annual quip survey. So our rate, whereas in the past it was one fixed rate for all patients uh, based on a cost report, this was the proposed daily reimbursement rate evidenced by pay for performance, the base rate, the personal care services component, hospitality and personal services, add-on based on comprehensive physical, mental, social, and psychological assessment and plan of treatment using outcome scales to measure progress or decline for each patient. That's the total rehab component. Annual quantity, quality incentive payment survey, potential bonus based on survey results. Maximum rate attained, maximum standards. Pay through pass through the actual cost for medications above a certain outlier per diem, pass through of actual cost for durable medical equipment uh, above a certain outlier per diem, pass through actual cost for medical supplies uh, above a certain outlier per diem. The restorative modeling method methodology, the pass through cost would be at actual bill cost plus handling, purchasing, and accounting fees of 5%. The only guaranteed rate is the base rate and personal services. All other program services are add-ons and the annual QIP survey values the bonus to be paid for each star. This uh, bonus is calculated at the end of the year uh, on the basis of an on-site uh, survey. The pass-through costs, uh, see, enforcement, civil money penalties, tort reform, Negative incentives can be eliminated by using the reinforcement and collaboration approach and accept that the providers are not going to be paid unless they perform and be prepared to prove the claim with medical, emotional, and social proof of outcome. In the book Freakonomics, the authors propose moral incentives 
are the way we like things to be, and economic incentives are the way things are. They then propose we can use one to get the other if we are smart. 201-201-175, the rest of the story. After the snowstorm storm at our next QUIP program, we had 201 patients who were happy to be at Fox Valley. 201 families who would come to see them at the facility and 175 staff who wanted to work at the facility. Yes, we were Yes, we added an average of 26 patients to our census, all Medicare qualified, and sustained the same staffing levels due to efficiency. Our turnover rate was reduced from 80-something over, oh, it was 200% down to 20%. Our our absentee rate, which was 25%, was reduced to 5%, and the fall rate was also below 5%. At Death Valley, the solution we we was give the staff a purpose and they will give you quality. We are then proud to be called Fox Valley, a six-star skilled nursing facility. Bottom line, this enterprise model of restorative processes is designed to save Medicare and Medicaid dollars by restoring the patients rather than warehousing residents. This model over the last 20 years has resulted in 44,000 more discharged home patients home and money saved for those who who only implemented 25% of our model. If instituted at the as the restorative model using the caregiver management system replaces the medical model and the social model, billions can be saved on inappropriate medications and wasted lives using sitting in wheelchairs and diapers with no future. I would predict the baby boomers will not pay their taxes and their Medicare withholding for this type of care. Postscript. At Fox Valley, after the snowstorm, my staff was still made up mostly of immigrants who were now effective and wanted what I wanted, pride of workmanship and getting people better so they couldn't return home and fewer going to the hospital. We were not homemakers, but game changers. I still had Polish bedmakers, Mexican housekeepers, Filipino LPNs, East Indian night shift, Black American CNAs, white RNs, Hispanic dietary staff, but many were learning to speak English and wanted to seek a career in healthcare while preparing for citizenship. A cohesive team focused on the patients, not a gang of workers just focused on paychecks and their departments.